Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings-on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the we weren't that bad of the podcast. Seriously though, we weren't that bad. And I'm joined by the Ilan Melier, misplaced past the podcast, only likely to cause us more problems. It's Darren Driver. Darren, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm alright, thanks mate. Um... Yeah, we, we lost by a few goals, so that must mean that I'm on the review podcast because that's just generally what seems <laughs> to happen. Although I noticed my my uh, my usual mate that does these you know the defeats with me, uh, he he's bailed out today, Tom. So I don't think it hasn't been noticed. Tom's in my bad books anyway, given that he's rated Pascal Strauch very low in his analysis ID ratings. I've not read that yet. What did, what did he say? So here we go. This is the overall team: seven point two five. Okay. They've given Bielsa eight point two five which seems yeah. fair. I think they've yeah. averaged out their, their scores. So Melier got an 8, so you'll be happy with that. Indeed. Ailing got 8.75. Yep. Robin Koch, 6.5. Yeah, it's a bit a bit low, that. Yeah, Keeper, 7. Okay. Stuart Dallas, 6.5. Gianni Alioski, 6. And the real the real sticker, Pascal Strauch, 6.75. You're joking, aren't you? Yeah, I'm not having that. KP, 7. Mateus yeah. Click, 8. Rodrigo, 6.75. Get this, Helder Costa, 3.5. Oof, oh, that's a stinger. <laughs> Jack Harrison, 5.75. They are being brutal here. Let's see what they, they really said about are. Stroke. Pascal has become a reliable squad player this season, despite only properly breaking into the senior squad post-lockdown. He has played well either as a deputy to Calvin Phillips or being thrown in at the deep end at the centre-back, like against Liverpool. His ball progression is superior to Cooper's, and if he is not first choice now, then long-term he definitely is. 6.75. There you go. Anyway, this is um, an analysis ID. They've got fans of each team to do a, a review of each of the teams, so well worth having a look over there. Um, uh, that's analysisid.com. I'm sure you'll find it. Um, if if you want to, uh, to find it and you can't find it through searching for that, then I'm sure it's on Josh Hobbs's Twitter account or Tom Alderson's as well, so check those out. It's just been retweeted from the All Stats account, so I, I assumed you'd done that. It wasn't me, no, but... Um, yeah, I guess Josh has done that. But I'd give Josh a six point seven five for the season. What would you what would you give Josh for the season? Six points um, six point five, <laughs> six point two five maybe. He has a tendency to go missing, doesn't he? He, this he, season. he, does, he goes missing in the big games, does does Josh, yeah. He only, yeah. only wants to come out when the cameras are on like Harry Cool used to do. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and you know, it's you've got to put the team first, right? It can't be can't be all individual stuff, but hopefully he'll pick up over the course of the season. We'll see. Right, we are here to talk about the Spurs game, um, so let's jump into that. Thanks again for all your questions. Uh, again, we had quite a few questions, so bear with us. Um, sorry if we didn't get to yours, but lots of good questions in there. Um, a good question, I think, to kick off with is Dan Holdsworth's question. Did we learn anything from this game? I can't think of anything. Can you, fellas? Darren, what did we learn from this game? I don't. I don't think we learned a, a great deal. I think. I think there were there were there was confirmation of a lot of things we already knew, um, which I'm sure we'll come come on to talk about in in due course. But I didn't really feel like anything anything particularly new or um, yeah yeah 
revealed itself. It, it was the same stuff we've talked about quite a few times on this podcast. Some of the same problems, some of the same strengths, um, and some of the same frustrations really came up uh, you know in in the course of the game um i don't feel frustrated today i, I feel absolutely fine about it because it, it's kind of what i expected to happen but um but there, there were some frustrations which happened during the game um which again i'm sure we'll come on to in due course yeah it's funny that you mentioned that because i don't know I, again you you kind of come out of that game and say yeah you know we lost three three nil to spurs we didn't expect to win if you look at the um, XG, it's pretty much 2-1 to them on XG in open yeah. play chances, taking the the penalty out of it. Um, so, you know, it's kind of a deserved loss. But uh, again, to to ring the game state klaxon once again, we yeah. gave away a, a frustrating penalty that regardless of whether or not you think it was a penalty, and I, I have no interest really in talking about things like that, but... Um, Regardless of whether or not you think it was a penalty, to get to generate a, a 0.8 xG chance from that situation is is really wild. Um, you, you know, it wouldn't have resulted in a good chance, I don't think, and so it's frustrating to to give away something like that. And then once you're a goal down against someone like Spurs, you just know yeah. that they're going to sit in and um, make you work hard to get anything. And to be fair to Spurs, I think they defended well. They um, didn't give us did. many chances at all. And I know a lot of people will say, oh, well, you know, Rodrigo had a chance and Bamford had a chance, but neither of those. I think we created one good chance in the whole of the game, and I think it was that Bamford header. Um, And, I mean, at the same time, they only created one um, good chance as well, big chance, as as we call it, which is a chance over 0.3 xG. But, um, you know, they have Harry Kane and uh, Hyungmin Son, and we said that they were going to be a danger and they were a danger. They created a, a, a really good goal. They generated a penalty in a corner, set pieces again. So same same old stuff, really. But um, I think the frustration for me was that I think we were well in the game until that sloppy penalty. And then you kind of yeah. think, well, you know, if you stay in the game a bit longer, get to half time perhaps uh, and see where you go from there. Yeah, well, this this is the thing, isn't it? I think this this is something that, that Josh and I were talking about before the game in that that. A team like ours has got a puncher's chance against a team like against a team like Spurs on 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 any given day. We 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 could we could take the game to them. We could beat them. But what you have to do in order to do that, if you're a team like ours, is you have to kind of execute your game plan perfectly. You have to make sure that you don't make any any really <clears throat> any really silly mistakes. Um, you have to make sure that that they're not um, able to enact some of the, the elements of their their game plan, which which could hurt us and. And it just in individual moments, there were two or three individual moments. Well, there were, there were more than that, actually. There were, there were several moments across the course of the game where we quite sloppily gave the ball away from the back under not huge amounts of pressure. I, I think Spurs did press to an extent, but the, but the, it wasn't the sort of press which I haven't seen us play through before. Yeah. Um, and and that, that caused us... You know, we we sort of were the architects of our own downfall on the day, and that's the frustrating thing for me is that there was there was kind of one moment of Spurs brilliance, which was the second goal, and and other times was 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 us making mistakes, which enabled them to to get at us. Hmm. Yeah, question from Luke who said, "Have we just got to accept we'll lose to all the top teams with the way we play?" Um, I'm not sure I would necessarily agree with that. In that we have played some top teams and won and drawn. Um, I think you know. Pulling a result off against Everton is is a big result. I know Everton sort of had a bit of a slump at that time, but they're still well up there. Um, they're, they're a different level to us in terms of the personnel they have, so I'd consider that you know a fairly good win. And then obviously City, uh, we drew with. Um, that must be it was only we. I guess we drew with Arsenal as well. If you consider Arsenal to be a fairly good team, at least in terms of the squad that they have. So yeah, what would you say? We're we're not going to lose to all the top teams, but I think we've got to we've got to accept that we're the underdogs underdogs in all of those games, right? Yeah, yeah, we're, we're definitely the underdogs. We're, we're we're always we're always up against it. But I think it's important, like you say, when when we talk about the top the top teams, I think it's really important to remember that we actually really battered Everton. Everton really created very little in that game, and and that they are a top team, and they'll 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 probably finish in the top top six, possibly the top four this season, and and we really took it to them, and there were there were moments in that City game when it definitely looked like we were going to knock them over, and that was well within our grasp. Um, so I I 
I, I'm quite happy to kind of um, magnanimously accept a defeat in any of these games, but I do, I, I genuinely do believe that on any on any of the given days that we've got coming up against the top teams, a result could happen and 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 probably will. I am more interested in the results against teams around us and below us, and and so far we seem to be doing really well in those, uh, with with a, with one or two notable exceptions. So um, th- the season is 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 panning out just about as well as you could expect from my point of view. I think so much of this comes down to the man marking system. I've maybe touched on this in podcasts before, but it's 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 such a, a sort of breakwater for us the the man marking system. In that, if we're playing against teams who are man for man better than us, then the team looks a lot worse than it than it is. Whereas all it takes then is for you to sort of match up man for man, and suddenly we look like the much better team. And I think that explains why we've gone from sort of you know big losses against us to big wins against other teams, and. There's nothing you can do about that other than keep playing the way that you play, stay in the league, buy better players, improve in areas so that you aren't going to have those discrepancies in man-to-man marking systems, right? Absolutely. And I think you've got to also think about that over the, over the time, you know, some of our more inexperienced players, and I'm thinking particularly about Melier and Stroke, will improve their decision making. And, and, and I thought there were two poor decisions yesterday, which led to their, fir- their first two goals. The, there was the Melier pass. And then I thought, um, I thought Stroke's, position, uh, Stroke's decision to dive in on, on Kane instead of just kind of staying with him and standing him up uh, was what gave Kane that opportunity to cross the ball. Now, that's not a, a criticism of Strokes. I think he was great yesterday, but, but I think it was in that moment a poor decision which left us really exposed. Yeah, it, uh, and certainly I think um, this season we've seen both of those players on a real upward trajectory. I mean, I, I put out something on the Twitter today, and I know, I know I bang on about Pascal being being great, but it's just if you look at his first few games at centre back, and you compare them to how he played yesterday, where he's up there with Ailing and getting some of the most progressive. Uh, carries and passes I mean the very fact that we usually have I mean Ailing was was way ahead of uh, the rest of the field in terms of uh, progression ball progression as a right back and we've gone from having Ailing doing that at right back to him doing it at centre back and Pascal matching him I mean he's he's never gonna I don't think be a, a, ball, as a carrier of the ball to the extent that Ailing is but Ailing is a, a fullback playing at centre back um, and so yeah I think what one of the things that I don't think people realise is just quite how much of a trajectory of um, of improvement there is going to be with both of those players. They're both young. They're both twenty twenty one, um, and what's going to happen is we're going to see um, we're just going to see a, a remarkable uh, upturn from them both. So yeah, lots of exciting things there. Absolutely, and, and and a big part of that is about is about making mistakes, isn't it? Because I, I think that in all areas of life, I think you learn more from your mistakes than you do from your good performances. So I think I think decision making will improve. I think their execution of, of of things will improve. And and I I you know I'm not worried about them. I think they they'll learn a lot from this season, and I think that'll stand them in really good good stead. You know, when they go into their second season in the Premier League. So we had a question from. Uh... Browsing only, who um, clearly isn't just browsing because they're asking us questions, but uh, they said, I thought we played quite well away from the errors. Are we improving, especially against the higher quality teams? What do you make of that? Yeah, I, I agree. I thought we were quite quite good yesterday, and I, I know I did notice in the first half that there were a couple of times when when we got the opportunity to transition into attack. Um, and on the replay, I noticed. Um, Dallas kind of holding his position, scanning and making sure that he was communicating with other players in the team not to all bomb forward, which I thought was was a noticeable improvement from if you remember the first goal against Man United when every single one of our midfielders was ahead, was, was ahead of the ball and really caused us problems. I, I thought we were quite disciplined. I thought we I thought we managed the ball quite well apart from individual moments where we made mistakes I thought we got into good areas yeah basically I thought we were pretty good yeah I mean I agree with you but I I guess what I would say and I think a lot of people are forgetting this that we were playing Spurs and I think that you know they weren't pressing us quite as high as some other teams will do and you know they defended against as well uh, in the second half but they were also not particularly expansive in the second half as well so I think a lot of it kind of kind of comes down to the fact that they were sitting a little bit deeper um, just sort of absorbing pressure and and happy to just sit on a three goal lead at that point as well. Yeah I, I thought we were better in the first half when it was nil nil than we were at any other point in the game to be honest. Um, I thought I thought that yeah, I think once the first goal went in, like like we say all the time on the podcast, it became a a thing about game state, didn't it? That they were able to 
do what they're good at, which is soak up pressure uh, and not uh, and just absorb it without too much too much problem. But um, I thought they pressed. Yeah, in terms of their press, they only really pressed uh, our fullbacks. Really, didn't they? They were quite happy to let let us have the ball in the centre of the field and try funnel us out wide. And then they started to press when it hit Dallas and Alioski, which which was really uh, effective. I thought in the in the in the first half and and gave us a, quite a few problems in terms of trying to find other ways to move the ball and progress the ball upfield. Yeah, it's funny because I felt yeah, I totally agree. They they were happy to just funnel the ball wide and then press the fullbacks. And particularly Son, who's quite a mobile player, was was pretty um, quick onto Dallas a lot of times. Um, but I I did feel like we played through their press fine. And um, actually, I thought maybe a lot of the problems came from transitioning the ball between. I guess the, that that sort of deep, well, the higher press and and just getting it into dangerous situations further down the field. I think we. But I mean, we've got lots of questions about uh, misplaced passes and turnovers, so we'll, I guess we'll get to that. Before we do, James Middleton had a question saying, 11th after 17 matches playing thrilling football with only four more wins needed to stay up. Our Twitter leads fans to extreme on a game-by-game basis. We win, everything's great. We lose, and it's we must change several things now. Um, don't want to belabor this point, but um, surely it's getting to a point now where people just have to accept that it's going to be a, a sort of roller coaster season, right? Yeah, I, th- I think that's really interesting because I, I, I see a lot of people, um, a lot of people and a lot of pundits complaining about our lack of consistency, which I think is a really fundamental misunderstanding of where we are. Um, I think if we were, if we were consistent, we wouldn't be a mid-table team. We would be a newly promoted team that was losing a lot, and <laughs> that's really not what we want to be. I think I think people need to remember that with consistency, either you, you lose all the time or you win all the time, and you become one of the top teams. And we're quite blatantly not in that position yet. So. Yeah, I think we always see massive overreactions, don't we? When um, when when we win, you know, we're sudden, we're definitely going to qualify for Europe and, and all that kind of stuff. And then when we lose, we're the worst team in the world, and anyone that's made a mistake in that game needs to be replaced forthwith. And I think, as ever, the truth is somewhere in the middle, isn't it? Right. Let's talk about the game itself then. Um, we had, a, like you've already said, we've had a couple of questions about our turnovers. So Richard Lang says system seems fine today, but efficiency was poor. Basic errors, misplaced passes, final third ball lacking, and found out by quality again. Can this issue be rectified within the current squad? Joe Knox says is the pass a poor passing in certain areas something that can be eradicated through better decision making slash awareness slash experience, or is it just a product of the of the level of player available? So what do you make of that? I think there are definitely um, times when when the the, the, the decision making could be improved, and I'm, I am thinking particularly about that that slow Melier rolled ball into the midfield, which he's done quite a few times in the in the last uh, seven or eight games, where where he's you know we've been found out, and uh, where that's been found out, or it's not quite found its man, and and we've been in, under a lot of pressure for every time there. I think that's a decision which over time he'll he'll change. Although you know I think we can't rule out the possibility that he's been told to to play the the ball uh, in that way um i think that there are there are certain areas of the team and i think we've talked about this on the podcast a lot where we definitely need improvements in quality in order to to kind of move up that next level particularly in the fullback areas and and particularly with another option in 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 the midfield but i think i think the kind of basis of our squad plus a few, you know a couple of really key quality additions in in other places would all it would take would be all it would take to see us move up you know another level into probably the top 10. Yeah, I was chatting to Jamie Hamilton who is um a Scottish UEFA A coach um about the game. He's really into Bielsa at the moment, so he's watching a lot of the games and he was he was talking about Rodrigo and and it was saying, you know, it does look as though he loses the ball a lot in in deeper positions and unpressured sometimes and he wondered whether or not that was an area that could be worked on. We had a chat about that and I said I feel as though the problem with Rodrigo is that he's been so used to playing as a, a, a in a strike partnership and dropping into a midfield two, and he's still playing that way, but dropping, but he is part of the midfield two, um, as it were. So, um, but Jamie was saying, yes, I, I accept that, but I do think that that is probably the area where Bielsa could probably get the most out of this team is just by um, it, uh, getting um, Rodrigo's possession. Uh, to a level that is acceptable for this team, and obviously, you know, a, a player like Rodrigo is going to lose the ball more because he's a more creative player. So he's looking for those more um, uh, creative passes, which often won't come off, and so you'll turn the ball over. But obviously, playing that way in the way that in in a lead system where we vacate the central midfield and uh, and and basically leave Calvin to mop everything up, it's not going to work in the long term. So I certainly think that there's um, s- certain things that can be done with. Um, 
with with players like Rodrigo in particular. Um, I don't know what you you would make of that. Well, I, I thought I thought against West Brom, I thought Rodrigo managed managed the ball really well when he dropped into those midfield areas, and I think he did that less well yesterday. And there have been other games where he's done it less well. I don't, I don't think it's beyond him to do it. I, th- I think that that um, that sometimes he's, he's very keen to turn quickly and to try and turn the game around, isn't he? And I think I think sometimes just being a bit more measured, a bit more composed. You know, bouncing the ball off the centre backs, bouncing the ball off the full backs a little bit, as we see Pablo do. You know, when when he comes on, um, I, I think I don't think that's beyond him, um, but I, I do think at times his his desire to kind of um, to speculate in possession can cause us problems. We had a question from Tom Bedford. He said it wasn't a penalty. The foul on Rodrigo in the build-up to Son's goal and Doherty lucky to wait so long for his red. Do we need to start getting a bit smarter in terms of getting decisions? Otherwise, I thought we'd overworked build-up at times, but were unlucky to not get at least one goal. What do you make of that idea of being smarter in terms of getting decisions? Uh, I think in terms, we could be a bit more streetwise. I think yeah, um, certainly around the way that we, <laughs> excuse me, uh, certainly a way that uh, around the way that we manage set pieces. I think we could be smarter there. Um, but but other than that, I mean, in terms of the penalty, there's not a great deal we can do. I mean, we can make the decision not to make the challenge. That's certainly one one streetwise way of doing it. But we've got no control over over whether the referee gives it or not. Um, I don't think it was a foul on Rodrigo in the build-up to Son's goal. I just thought it was weak. Um, so yeah, I think I think there is some truth in, in what in what Tom's saying. But but I think I I, I wouldn't put that down as kind of been a, a, a primary area where we where we really need to improve things. And I guess. Part of the issue here is that Bielsa is never going to sort of discuss that sort of thing in any positive light anyway with the team. So uh, I think it's very much a case of him being like, this is the right way to play and so we're going to play this way, which means we're not going to moan at referees. We're not going to try and win through through gamifying things and stuff like that. So I I think it's just sort of something that we're going to have to live with, really. Absolutely. And and, and I was annoyed, you know, in in the Arsenal game when Alioski acted like he'd been mortally wounded after having someone's forehead lightly rub his. Uh, so actually that, that sort of stuff annoys that sort of shit annoys me. So um I'm quite happy that, that we that we try and engage with the game honestly and it's not as if it's costing us to any any great degree in terms of our league position, which is round about where you'd expect it to be. Um we had a question from Jacob Stanbridge you said a messy second half calmed after the subs was this tactical e.g. Dallas switching from uh, left back or individual e.g. Rodrigo off after passing just not coming off today or was it a mix um, we've already talked about the game state side of things a little bit I do think a lot of this comes down to um, teams just sitting happy to sit back in the se- in, in the last few um, minutes of well I guess it's the second half of the second half really and um, one of the things that I'm actually quite interested in is how a lot of people think Pablo should be included often when he comes in with 20 minutes to play after a, I mean during a brutal season when usually the game's decided um, and and sort of enjoying that game state himself so what do you make of that what do you make of the second half or the second half of the second half in this case I mean really I think I think Spurs uh, like most people watching the game were just waiting for the game to end that they, they were perfectly content to sit back not really cause us any problems yeah we we did look more in control when when Pablo came on but he was operating in a lot more space a lot of the time um I think there is there is some truth in what Jacob says that that Dallas operating from left back and Shackleton moving to the right I think that really does help us and I I'd be really keen to see that change come in on on a on a more ongoing basis but Bielsa for whatever reason seems to be very wedded to to Alioski um and you know his performances have been have been much as as you, again as you'd expect from Alioski. There's been some somewhere he's been good, like he was against West Brom, uh, and then somewhere he's just slightly under good, and he gets exposed quite badly because of that, um, like like yesterday. So where, where he made a couple of really key errors in the first half, but but yeah, I, I overall, if we if we could get to a situation where um, Shackleton was starting on the right and and Dallas was was starting from the left, I think I would feel more comfortable with that. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Let's move on to talk about the attacking and defensive side of the game. Um, we had a lot more questions about the attacking side of the game than defensively, but I guess that makes sense given that um, we were playing Spurs who weren't going to be basically attacking a lot and we're going to be hard to break down so I suppose this makes sense but Clem said I'm not sure if it's because he's our big signing and I pay closer attention to him but it seems like Rodrigo is often the one to give up possession in dangerous areas it seems to happen every game with him with sloppy or ill thought out passes thoughts and um, Neil Harding says is Rodrigo a luxury player against the top six teams especially away from home played well but is the midfield just too attacking and we need a little bit more solidity so yeah the real theme to the questions um in in this podcast but let's 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 spend some time just talking about Rodrigo and and how we see him fitting into the team yeah I mean like we said earlier I think that the thing that that he does is he, he he speculates he tries to create things he tries to make things happen and sometimes I think he is trying to force things in deep positions which are, which are quite dangerous to us I think when he does it on the edge of the opposition's box when he turns when he tries to um, you know kind of make something happen when he tries to squeeze someone through when he tries to to play a, a kind of low percentage pass I think it's fine if it happens in the opposition's final third but I think in terms of game management I would prefer to see him take the simpler option sometimes in the deeper areas particularly you know be- between our third and the halfway line where he seems to kind of lose uh, possession quite regularly um, but that's just the sort of player that he is isn't he? he he's somebody who wants to make things happen he wants he wants to get us on the attack he wants to to be the creative fulcrum and, and hub of the team and I think it's one of those where to an extent you've kind of got to take the rough with the smooth um, and, and when it when it comes off like it did so often against West Brom it looks it, it looks fantastic and he looks fantastic when we're playing against against really top teams um, like we were yesterday they're going to expose us in, in those sort of situations when we turn the ball over a bit sloppily. Do you think Rodrigo and Click are too similar? Yeah, I, I think there is. I think there is something in that. I, th- I I think that they both want to bomb forward, don't they? And I think I think that there have been times, like I think back to the start of our our promotion season, where where Click was playing in the midfield with Forshaw, and Forshaw was actually playing the the more advanced role for some of that time, and and Click was able to kind of recognise that and to sit in. Similarly, when when he was playing uh, in the midfield with size. He was able to make decisions about when to go and when not to go. And at the moment, I think there is something happening where both Rodrigo and Click are trying to run into the same spaces quite often. And and I think that that does cause us a problem. And I, I don't think necessarily it's a, you know, I don't think it's a personnel issue because Click has shown in the past that he is able to, to kind of take that more disciplined uh, role. But um, but at the moment, the, the, there does seem to be some truth in that, I think. On the subject of Click... The trainee RQT says, has Click actually dropped in terms of output? He doesn't seem himself at the minute. His clever passes are never quite there and his defensive work seems not up to his standard. What do you make of Click? I thought Click was good yesterday, to be honest. I, he, he wasn't. It wasn't one of those games where he's kind of able to dominate and make, make chances as we've seen him do at other times this season. But I thought he kept... He he does that thing where he, he he does keep things ticking over, and I thought he did that really well yesterday in in terms of the, the way that we managed the ball. Um, I thought he was much more stable and secure in possession than 
than perhaps Rodrigo was. Um, I I didn't have a major problem with the way that that Click played yesterday. I think that we 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 have overplayed him in the last what two years, two and a half years, and I think that we have, we, we we may be seeing either that he's that he's carrying inju- carrying an injury or that he's just simply feeling a, a you know a bit overplayed and isn't quite as sharp as he could be. But I I didn't notice any major problems with his performance yesterday. What did you think, John? Yeah, I didn't think he was too bad either. Um, uh, the central midfield position is really interesting, isn't it? Because so much of what they do is wide build-up. So we see them, we see one on one side, one on the other, sort of pressing. They have to do that defense, the the, the sort of pressing from the front. They help out with with Bamford as as he does his pressing. Um, And they so quickly have to get into these situations where they push out and make a three in a wide area and try and get an over an overload in, in a wide area. And so they, they sort of work in such weird channels. They they operate in the half spaces and um, uh, and spend a lot of their time sort of chasing back in defensive transition. Um, that it's I think it's kind of hard for, for midfielders like that to look good uh, as well, um, especially when you're playing in a team who are going to be, in a game like yesterday in particular, are going to be doing, I suppose, not as much um, attacking um, as you would expect, or at least when you are, you're almost playing as like a, a sort of facilitator between um, fullback and, and winger. Um, so I think that there may, be, there may be some kind of like aesthetic quality to why people have thought that Click is dropping off. Um, I, I don't know. I haven't thought about it enough. But again, I didn't think he was that bad yesterday. I thought he was fine. Um, I think what we miss, though, is... And, and this is why I asked you about Rodrigo and Click being maybe too similar, is that we do miss... I think we do miss a sort of hybrid between Calvin Phillips and, and Mateus Click slash Rodrigo, someone who's going to be defensive but not as defensive as, as Phillips, but um, is also going to be maybe a little bit better at ball retention um, and maybe a little bit better at um, just sort of moving the ball um, as a carry rather than necessarily just passing it as well. So, um, yeah, we, it remains to be seen how Bielsa thinks that problem is going to be solved, but I, I'm, I'm sure he thinks there is a problem. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, he will be completely aware of, of the times and occasions in which we lose the ball and, and how some of our retention isn't as good as it could be and isn't as good as it has been at times under him. Um so I mean, there's there's an obvious elephant name in the room here that that we, that we we don't need to say in terms of you know, uh, but but you know the the fact that that Michael Quiesons was was in in the building and has, has got a bad foot or whatever um, indicates that 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 the club are absolutely aware that we do need another central midfielder and and whether we'll bring that in in January or in in, in the summer remains to be seen but I think in 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 these sort of these sort of games it definitely wouldn't hurt to to have uh, a bit more stability. Ellis Munelli says against sides that won't give us time on the ball should we start Shackleton ahead of Alioski? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so so obviously the 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 change that was made yesterday was bringing Shackleton on at right back and moving Dallas to left back what did you make of that change I think it's the right change and 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 I think it's it's the it's the way that I would like to see it set up I, I would like to see Shackleton given a decent run in the, in, in the first team um I I, I think Alioski brings a, a lot uh, a lot to our game in terms of energy in terms of his pressing and and, and all that kind of stuff um but I think at times when when we need somebody who's going to going to make a sensible decision into in possession or who's going to find consistently find um find a midfielder or find the center half he, he can be found a bit one in particularly under pressure and I think Shackleton manages the ball much better than he does um, and given that given that we don't have in my opinion a proper first choice high quality left back at the club I think moving Dallas across to the left and and, and putting Shackleton in on the right is is the sensible choice to make I think I agree with that, but I mean, it's again, it's a game by game basis, isn't it? Because against West Brom, someone like Alioski looks pretty dangerous when you're not worrying too much about defensive transition and when you're uh, not too worried about build up play in, in deeper areas. Then he's he's absolutely fine to have in the field. I mean, he's a he's a wide midfielder, really, isn't he? He's a not very good wide midfielder, and so he's yeah. sort of been pushed back as a as a defender and. Um, I think that's probably the way that I would play him in games like against West Brom or against Newcastle, etc. 
Yeah, I think I think one of the problems with Alioski, and I don't know whether I've talked about this on the podcast before, is that, that I, I, I quite often think that he and Harrison try and really occupy the same spaces and try and try and operate in the same way. And I think that that can cause problems for both the team, but particularly I think it, it sometimes makes Harrison look a bit worse than he is um, because I, I think it means that the, he has to then find another another run, another move, another thing because Alioski's taking up the space that he naturally wants to take up. Um, and I think that can also cause us problems in terms of our attacking. We didn't have many questions actually about the wide players from the game yesterday. We, we had a question from Chris Balmforth who said, would bringing Pablo on in a wide position be the best way of getting him on the field with Rodrigo? Clearly Pervader needs to improve his decision making with the final ball. He had plenty of opportunities. Um, there's a few questions in there. First one I suppose is is Pablo. I mean, for me Pablo still is best utilised as a last 20 minutes option. What do you make of Pablo's role in the team this season? I completely agree. I, I, th- I think he've, even yesterday when he came on and, and, and you know he came on pretty late in the game, there were times when when he he, he kind of look, doesn't look quite up to, to the pace all the time, if I'm honest. And I think that um, that if, he, if, if he's coming on in the last 20 minutes to either help us to retain the ball or to, to have some fun like he was <laughs> like he was against uh, West Brom then, and, and against Newcastle, then I think he's, he's totally fine because I think he will, he will make, um, make better decisions than some of the other players in possession. Um, I can't see him starting games regularly in the Premier League and I think people are going to, might just need to accept that that's not his role anymore. Um, and also, I think in terms of this idea of bringing him on uh, to play him on and from the wide right and, uh, and and get him on at the same time as Rodrigo, I don't like anything which takes Rodrigo off the right wing. I think I think he's much less effective when he plays from the left. Um, his his skill is doing what Pablo used to do from the right, which is dropping into the half spaces, finding intelligent passes, trying to find something speculative, trying to find something creative. And I think that we really lose that and we really miss that whenever he ends up being moved over to the left. This is Rafinha, yeah. Rafinha. Did I did I not say Rafinha? I think you said Rodrigo. I <laughs> uh, beg your pardon. I absolutely 100% meant, uh, meant Rafinha. Perveda then. Perveda's been someone who I've been a little bit umming and ahhing about and I've not really wanted to talk about him too much on this podcast because I don't want to try and influence people's opinions of him until we've got a decent amount of um, uh, sample size for, for from which to make any sort of critical um, judgment. But what do you make of Pervedo? I, mean, I, I find that we bring him on and he doesn't add a huge amount. And look, we know that bringing a player on for however many minutes he gets at the end of a game is, is probably harsh um, as a standard by which to judge someone. It's also harsh to judge someone in a, in a game when the game's already well away from you by the time they come on. But what, what do you make of Pervader? I think his best performance that he's had for us so far this season has been in the City game when he came on and he, he made, uh, made Mendy look stupid quite a few times before Mendy was eventually substituted. And I think, I think if that's the benchmark that we're judging him by, I think he's not met that that uh, that level since um i think i think i said um before that that the kind of way that i view pervader is that i think he's quite fun to watch i think he you know he'll do a nice little trick that'll get past somebody and stuff and he did he did you know one or two of those yesterday but i'm not actually sure how effective he is in terms of in terms of contributing assists in terms of actually creating chances um i, I, I still think he's got probably a lot a lot to learn um I think it's interesting that he's ahead of Costa still at the moment. <laughs> at the moment, um, though, so I, w- I wonder. I wonder what it is that Bielsa sees in him that he, that he doesn't see Costa bringing uh, because he because Pervader seems to be the go-to wide substitution at the moment, doesn't he? Um, but I, I think that you know I think he's got more to give, but I, I, I think he really needs to start bringing some sort of productivity as well as the kind of creativity and fun that I think people see in him. I'm not going to say too much more on Pervader other than, you know, I don't think we play a style of football really, or we're not playing against teams that really suit him um, at the moment. And, you know, I think Pervader, that Man City game was a game which was wild in terms of transitions. It was just backwards and forwards transition and that probably suits him. Um, But I'm not convinced that against teams that are going to sit back, he has necessarily enough to, to cause any problems. We've not seen anything from him yet but again he's young and um I, I i i'm sort of withholding judgment yet but i i'm still disappointed whenever whenever he comes on that i don't see more from him um i think he's probably a good 1v1 player and i don't think we've maybe seen him enough in 1v1 situations 
Yeah, and I think yesterday, you know, what I think in in a game like yesterday where <clears throat> where where the the opposition are, are really just about killing space. It's that thing where when he goes past one man or he creates a yard past one man, there's always another one immediately behind him to mop up. Um, and you you're right. I think that 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 doesn't suit somebody whose whose game is built around beating one man and then getting something off. So it'll just be interesting to see how how he develops. Really, I'm like you. I I I, I am withholding judgment, but but I. But I kind of think he's fun, and I'm not sure whether fun's enough right now. Let's talk about the defensive side of things. And there wasn't many questions about defence, but uh, there was a question about uh, Melier, which I, I think is worth asking. So Ross Hod- Ross Ross Hodgson says possibly niche, but should we stop playing? I'm going to start this again. Possibly niche, but should we stop Melier passing down the middle of the pitch? What do you make of that? Yeah, I, I think this is real a really interesting question because when Melier first came into the team. Um, I, I remember saying that I felt that one of the things that I liked about his distribution was his decision making in terms of the areas that he put the ball into, and and I contrasted that to Kiko Casilla, who quite often uh, dropped the ball into quite dangerous areas in 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 the middle of the field in 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 our half. Um, and I can I can only imagine that 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 the the, the reason that, that Melier started making those those more central passes is to do with instructions. Um, because he he definitely wasn't doing that when he first came into the team, um, but it's not something which, that I'm that comfortable with. You know, particularly in the sort of situation whereby um, where we gave the first goal away yesterday, where you know there were a number of Spurs players quite high. I think that he was trying to trying to find a run, that, a, a little run that Ailing was making, and for whatever reason, Ailing didn't pick the ball up and left it for Phillips. Um, and and I I think that was that was actually what happened. I don't think it was just that Melier played a, a, actually I don't think he played that bad a pass I just think Kaylin left it um but I but for me I I'm I think I'd rather see um Melier try find try find the wings uh more consistently and 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 to to not play those central balls because they have caused us problems in a number of recent games yeah I I, I do agree with that and um I suppose it's a question of, I mean, as I was saying to you as before we we came on air, I was looking through the stats from yesterday and I think Melier attempted 45 passes and completed 43. So that pass um, straight to whoever it was, I can't even remember who it was, um, that led to the penalty was one of two misplaced passes. So it's one of those things where, you know, it's such a fine margin where you you, you, you make one bad pass and people are like, confirmation confirmation bias comes in and says oh you know there's been a few times where he's done that there's the time when he passed it straight to James Rodriguez against Everton stuff like that and those things stick out in people's mind but I think the important thing to remember is that the majority of the time he's doing um he's doing really sterling passing work his build-up is I thought his build-up was really good yesterday his little dinked dink balls into the fullbacks are really important in terms of uh passing through the press and um yeah, you know, it's it's just one of the it's just one of the things that happens is that if you have a keeper who is given a huge amount of conf- well, who you have a huge amount of confidence confidence in to do that, all it takes is one bad pass and and it falls to pieces. But I also think you know there's a big gap between making that pass and then giving away a goal. I think most like nine times out of ten. You're not going to do that if not higher than that. It's, it, it just because a goal resulted from it doesn't mean to say you have to trace the line of causality in a in a really strict um, uh, manner right back to him. So it's it's one of those things that um, the, the the more confidence he gets, the more likely he is to make those sorts of mistakes when he's developing. But as we've said with Strauk as well, you know there's going to be teething there's going to be teething signs and. Um, you know, part of the risk is is that you, they are, there are going to be mistakes made, and what we love about Bielsa is that he doesn't judge players based on those occasional mistakes. He he realizes that you have to keep them in, and then before you know it, you've got a, a, a striker who's playing as well as Pat Bamford, and uh, I'm sure that will happen with with those two as well. Absolutely, and I think over the course of the season, I think Melier's Melier's long passing is over seventy percent, and his short passing is nine is just under ninety eight percent. I think that was what Phil Hay tweeted. Uh, or wrote in his article this morning, um, and I, I don't think I, I think that people's expectations are people. There's there's a kind of not expectations. There's a kind of um, narrative forming around Melier, which makes me a bit uncomfortable because I think all oh you know I, and and people will laugh at that because they know that I'm his his biggest fan or whatever. But but I I think that 
that if you're going to put a 20-year-old goalkeeper in in the Premier League and you're going to trust him, then I think what you have to accept is that over the course of a season, he's going to make a number of mistakes, some of which cost you goals, some of which cause you uncomfortable situations and some of which you get away with, but all of which he will learn from and all of which will aid his development. So um, he's he's not... Yeah, I, I think I think people just need to kind of cut him some slack, really, and, and let, let him do his learning. Right, have you got any positives for us? Usually Dan gives us positives, but he he asked us a question this week. So what what are the positives that you would take from the game yesterday? Strout was very good. Ailing was very good. Um, and I thought, I felt although we we lost the game heavily, I don't think it was anything to do with our style or our tactics. I think it was just, it was just to do with individual errors at key moments. So um, I, I think, I think that I actually think we managed the game much better than we than we have done in other games where we've lost heavily this season. I really enjoyed watching Strout yesterday as well, um, particularly because we we made comments about how he was progressing the ball well against uh, West Brom, but to be able to progress the ball well against teams like Spurs as well, I think is uh, is nice to see. So he's just so composed, isn't he? That's the thing about that I really enjoy about him. He just never looks panicked or flapped. He just you know, he kind of takes a touch, he, he, he knocks the pass out. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, and um, his passing with both feet is good. Um, his progressive passing between the lines is really impressive. I think he makes, he makes he's able to play those splitting passes that can get you, get, can go into the feet of, of um, Click and, and Rodrigo, etc. Uh, it's nice to see that. Um, and I think one of the things I enjoyed yesterday was just his, he, he has a command of, of, selling players with his body so there's a few times where he shaped to pass the ball back to the keeper to throw the oncoming striker off and then was able to just pull the ball back and 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 drive forward as well um just smart smart sort of awareness of 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 how your body works as a as a an offensive tool in that sense so i I think he'll be good um i'm just I, i guess i should have other things other positives to say but um i i I don't know it was a very bland game yesterday wasn't it really it's sort of it very quickly became matter of course and um, it's hard to sort of pick things out but right let's look forwards Um, we had a few questions looking forwards Giancarlo Sandoval said how plausible is it in terms of numbers that a team defends well and attacks with precision and poise wins against Leeds and which of the next fixtures pose this problem so this is a question about the fact that you know teams like Spurs uh, West uh, Wolves I suppose um uh, Leicester as well, yeah. Um, those sorts of teams can sit sit deep against us um, and and rely on just sort of getting good chances from counter attacks and, and pulling them off. So, what would you say? Um, would you say that's plausible? And would you, which which of the next few fixtures would you say is, is potential banana skins for Leeds? Well, we, we've we've got Leicester coming up, haven't we? Um, so, I think that that would be a really that be a really obvious one to say, but. But uh, something being obvious doesn't make it any less true. Um, yeah, so I, that that's the kind of fixture on on the horizon that, that worries me. I think we've also got uh, we've got Southampton coming up. Um, who, yeah, they they don't um, they don't play in that way where they're going to soak up pressure and then spring on us. But they but they're definitely a team that I anticipate causing us some problems with their their press. Um, but I think yeah, on on the horizon we've got Leicester, um, we've got the return fixture against Palace, we've got the Wolves game, all in the next ten fixtures. Um, so I think there there are going to be a number a number of times when when we struggle against against uh, teams that defend well and then are able to attack quite clinically. And then finally, a question questions I suppose I should say about Calvin Phillips. So Richard Lang says, why or why has Calvin not learned from his Loftus Road red card? We were beaten, and he makes a stupid and needless challenge, meaning he misses the Brighton game. Uh, that was the worst part of today. And Luke Naylor says, with Phillips suspended, who do we play? DM versus Brighton. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. Um, who? Yeah. I mean, we've got a couple of weeks, haven't we, before the Brighton game? So it's just going to really depend on who's fit, isn't it? So if um, if Urente and Cooper are fit, then then you you could potentially see Strauch or you could potentially see Urente playing the defensive midfield role. I think that's very unlikely. I think it's most most likely to be Cooper back into the back into the defence um, and then Strauch into the central defensive midfield, which I think against Brighton will be fine, to be honest. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting. I mean, in many respects, I'm sort of treating the next few weeks as a 
a, a bit of a break. I know we should be looking at Brighton and thinking we should try and get three points from it, but um, I still think that we're way ahead of schedule in terms of points. Um, I guess the big question is whether or not people <laughs> think that we should be pushing on up the table. Uh, I'm still of the mind that um, you know the second half of the season could be tricky. We're, we're coming up to a, um, a few a series of games where we're going to be missing players. We, I mean, we're struggling for depth as it is. So um, for me, I'm I'm just trying not to worry too much about um, uh, about any of these few games. And, and I guess what's going to be really interesting is is looking at the way that we play return fixtures in, against teams, whether or not we start seeing patterns so you know Leicester blew us away are Leicester going to blow us away again or are we going to be able to do something different um so I think that those are the sorts of things that I find quite interesting yeah absolutely but also it's what it's it's not just what they've learned about us but it's what we've learned about them as well and whether whether we can you know approach some of those games in a slightly more intelligent uh, intelligent way than we did particularly the Leicester game right that concludes our uh, review of the Spurs game. Uh, if you enjoy our content and you want more of it, then you can head over to our Patreon channel. Patreon is a subscription platform where you can get bonus material that isn't available to anyone else. We're putting out video analyses and bonus podcasts as well. I'm going to be doing a video analysis of the Spurs game for tomorrow at some point, so there's something to look out for. If that sounds fun, head over to www.patreon.com forward slash allstats, aren't we? But with that, there's nothing else for me to do other than to say thank you, Darren, for coming on all on your lonesome. Oh, it's all right. Thanks very much. Yeah, it's been good fun. And we'll be back at some point to preview the... I think we'll do the Crawley game. Um, we've had a few, a, a bit of a break. So I've found, I've found someone who's willing to come on and talk about Crawley. So we'll certainly have some kind of mini review um, podcast for the Crawley game uh, next weekend. So until then, have a great time. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.